Hello, you are back with the Black Valor Podcast. This is episode 13, and I'm your host, Jamie M. Parks. Today, we will be looking at the life of Daniel Chappie James, the first four-star black general in all the services. Two weeks ago, we talked about the 477th Bombardment Group. Well, Daniel James was one of the members of the 477th, and he had a pretty amazing run with the Air Force. So we're going to dig more deeply into his background this week and some of the extraordinary events that surrounded his time in the Air Force. So without further ado, let's get started. Daniel James was born in 1920 in Pensacola, Florida, next to a Naval Air Station. He was one of 17 children. Early on, his mother told him that there were two types of Negroes. The first to do this and the only one to do that. So his mother played a large role in shaping him into the man that he became, as she always stressed with her children to strive for excellence. Daniel James graduated from Washington High School in 1937, and from there he went on to the Tuskegee Institute that same year, where he joined the flight training program. At school, he was also noted to be an exceptional athlete and leader. Those traits that would serve him well later on had carried over from his early years and into college. He did earn a bachelor's degree in physical education, which was appropriate because he was a large man, six foot four, strong, so very imposing. He performed as an instructor pilot in the Army Air Corps Aviation Cadet Program there at Tuskegee, and he did that until January of 1943. Originally, He wanted to fly jets for the Navy, but at the time, they were not allowing blacks to do much of anything aside from cooking. So that's why he looked towards the Army Air Corps. In July of 43, he earned his commission as a second lieutenant, and he was assigned to the 477th Bombardment Group while it was at Selfridge Field. When I spoke last time about them, you know that they had an incident called the Freeman Field Mutiny, and Daniel James was a part of that. So he refused to sign the commander's directive to stay away from the club. He would go, as the uh, other officers would, to the club when they weren't supposed to. He was one of those initial 100 who were uh, arrested, but he had some special talents that allowed him to get out of confinement, but Even though he wasn't there in the confinement with the other officers while they were going through this uh, process of the courts martial, he was acting as a courier for Coleman Young, who was leading up the mutiny there, if they would call it that. He would actually take messages while he was doing his training flights to places like Dayton or Louisville, and he would ferry information from the base to the local news offices. So they would know what was going on aside from what the military story was. In this way, he provided a great service for those men who were arrested because it was able to, he was able to help them get their message out to other people outside the military establishment. On September 1949, he got stationed at Clark Air Base, Philippines with the 12th Fighter Bomber Squadron. So even though he missed his chance to participate in World War II and the uh, the battles because he was with the 477th and all the problems they had, he would have plenty of opportunities throughout his career. While he was in the Philippines, he actually received the Distinguished Flying Cross 
for rescuing his pilot, he was the co-pilot, when their T-33 had engines flame out. The aircraft was approximately 50 feet above the ground when the engine caught on fire, caused them to crash. When they were down, the pilot was knocked unconscious being in the front, but the canopy wouldn't open. James couldn't get to the pilot. He had to literally stand up in the tiny cockpit with his back against the canopy and push with all his might to break through the canopy in order to pull out the pilot. Incredible feat of strength to get through those canopies just using his own body power and his uh, strength of his back, but he was able to pull the pilot away from the aircraft just seconds before it burst into flames. That's why he got his Distinguished Flying Cross. Next, he went from there to Korea in July of 1950. In Korea, he flew 101 combat missions in F-51 and F-80 aircraft. What's left over the propeller planes, the F-51 was basically the P-51 from World War II, and the F-80 was uh, initial jet fighter for the Air Force. He received a Distinguished Flying Cross while in Korea as well because he flew uh, close air support on a particular mission that saved U.S. troops from annihilation. And they were very close to being wiped out, but his timely actions and accurate fire for the flight led to them being uh, able to get themselves away from the enemy troops. Around that time, he was promoted to major in 1952, and he was given command of the 437th Fighter Intercept Squadron at Otis Air Force Base, Massachusetts. He spent many years overseas as well. After um, Massachusetts, he went on to Ari of Bentwaters in July of 1960, and he was a uh, lieutenant colonel by that time. And then as a colonel in December 1966, he became the vice wing commander of the 8th Tactical Fighter Wing at Ubon Royal Thai Air Force Base in Thailand. So as you can tell by the dates, this was right in the, I guess, active phase of our involvement in Vietnam. While there, he flew many combat missions, 78 to be exact over North Vietnam, and many of his missions were over Saigon or Haiphong, which were two of the most heavily manned areas with surface-to-air missiles. Lots of harrowing moments around those areas. He led a particular mission where they had seven MiG-21s destroyed, and that actually was the highest total MiG kill of any mission during the war. He earned the nickname Black Eagle from his fellow pilots because of his prowess in the air as a uh, fighter and tactician. One time he arrived back from a mission over Vietnam and his aircraft had 52 holes in it. And so they were wondering how he even made it back safely. At the end of his tour in Vietnam, he was sent in August 1969 to become commander of the 7272nd Fighter Wing at Willis Air Force Base in Libya. And this was right after the time that Muammar Gaddafi held his coup. It was pretty tense. And one day they had an incident where Gaddafi drove his tanks or armored personnel carriers through base housing to cause trouble and to try and stir up the Americans and get them to uh, leave Libya. James locked the gates behind him while they were still there 
and he confronted Gaddafi. Uh, Gaddafi would, had his hand hovering near this well-crafted, uh, fancy gun at his side, and James put his hand near his gun and told him he better move his hand or he was going to take him out. Gaddafi got the message loud and clear, and he left the base, and that was the last time that he ever tried anything on base again. So this really uh, struck a nerve with uh, President Nixon to have this general standing up for Americans after the coup. And it led him, Nixon to nominate him for Brigadier General in 1970. Once he put on general, he was assigned as the, once he put on Brigadier General, he was assigned as Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Public Affairs and then Principal Deputy Sec- Assistant Secretary of Defense for Public Affairs in 1973. But this was a short-term assignment. Uh, shortly afterwards, he was made the Vice Wing Commander of Mobility Airlift Command in September 1st of 1974. His star continued to rise and he was considered to be one of the premier or exceptional airmen in the Air Force. Uh, he didn't stay there long at MAC because in 1975 they assigned him as the Commander-in-Chief of NORAD, which is the North American Air Defense. And that's at uh, Peterson Air Force Base, Colorado, which was a joint assignment because you have members of Canada and the United States who are command NORAD. But this assignment also was uh, responsible for him being promoted to four stars. And as I said early, he is the first black to reach that rank in any of the armed services in America. It was the capstone event of a long and distinguished career in the Air Force for Daniel Chappie, James Chappie was his nickname. He is also noted for his civic outreach. He spent lots of time, especially during the uh, period for the Vietnam War when riots were breaking out and most people in America were not very pleased with the way the war was going. He spoke out against that and he spoke out for uh, Americanism. Also against the uh, racial violence and the disparity that was going on between um, blacks and whites at the time. In 1967 and 1968, he earned the George Washington Freedom Medal for his civic work, and he frequently gave speeches at, he frequently gave speeches at various community events, but he proved to be divisive for some because there were those Americans that saw him as a prime example of the military overreach in America or that war hawk mentality. But at the same time, he stood for black rights when it wasn't very popular. And so he would get hit on both sides through the media at the time uh, as either being called an Oreo, which is not a flattering term, or for being too liberal in his views on what is right for blacks. So he couldn't win for losing in many cases. But people had to respect him for his uh, military abilities and what he did. But all times, he was honest and true to himself. And I think actually a good representation of America. One of the comments he made that kind of put him at odds with some of the groups he even spoke at that were pro-American is that he said there was no danger in tipping the scales too far in favor of minorities when it comes to social systems and things that are being put into place. 
he made a comment in the Chicago Tribune in 1977. He said, anytime you dethrone a king, anytime you change a system, the first thing the tyrant cries is that he has become the victim. He forgets all the lambs that were led to slaughter by his axe. You can see how that statement could be uh, taken as hostile by some people. But he also believed that the anti-war protests damaged the war effort and actually led to the failure of the war. So he came out against the protests and the violence, mainly the violent aspects of some of the protests, but the American people not being behind the soldiers, the airmen, the um, seamen who were fighting the war. Well, Daniel James retired on February 1st, 1978, and sadly he died only 24 days later on 25 February after a very long life serving his country. So Daniel James saw the birth of a desegregated military in America and saw that through to the end where he could become the highest ranking black in any of the services. Also recognizing that there were still times when things were not equal in America. And he walked that careful line between recognizing the greatness of America, but also its faults. So I hope you enjoyed this brief look at the life of General Daniel Chappie James. As always, I encourage you to please come out to the site. Give me comments on what you like. There's forums on the website, and that's just www.blackvalor.net. You can find the podcast on iTunes, and I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and you can send email to blackvalor1010 at gmail.com. If you have ideas for topics you would like covered, you can also leave those on the website or send me your email. I'm more than happy to receive those. I uh, will see you again in two weeks.